please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Hi, this is Greg McIntyre, estate planning and elder law attorney, along with attorney Brenton S. Begley, also estate planning and elder law attorney. And this is today's edition of the Elder Law Report. So we're going to talk today about what is estate planning, why should you engage in estate planning, and we're going to get into a little bit of um, you know, what maybe uh, tools might be needed for you and your family to protect your hard-earned money and property. So, Britton, what is estate planning? Yeah, so estate planning is planning for the future with regard to your assets and um, and protecting those assets. And, and maybe if you want to leave behind, uh, you know, something for the next generation. Um, and so, you know, that's that's what's mostly focused on in estate planning. But that kind of misses uh, a little bit of the other side of estate planning. And it's it's planning for protection for you as well and your rights, which is extremely important. So when we talk about estate planning, we talk about protection of assets, the disposition of assets after someone's death, and more importantly, protection during their life for their rights. Absolutely. So I would also say that estate planning to me is peace of mind knowing that I have everything that, like you said, protects me. I've chosen the people that will make decisions for me. I've not left it up to my family to have to go to the court system to pursue things like guardianship for me. Right. And I've also taken action to uh, protect my hard work and and my assets, my property, so that they will be there for me it's a proactive thing. It's not being reactive. You know, you, you, things get done, you know, in life much better when we plan ahead and when we don't procrastinate. So it's it's the opposite of procrastination. It's proactiveness. And it's saying it's the satisfaction of knowing that you have those things accomplished and that you have yourself protected, not only yourself, but also other family members. It could be your husband, it could be your wife. This could be planning for long-term care. It could be planning to help grandchildren out. It could be a lot. There's a lot of different aspects of planning. And I should say that uh, Mr. Begley and I are both attorneys at the firm McIntyre Elder Law, where all we practice is estate planning and elder law. That's all we do. If you called our office and you had a speeding ticket, we would refer you to someone who would handle that, who does nothing but traffic and criminal work. However, when you call our office and you have an estate planning or elder law question, that's really the meat of what we do. And we practice that every day. Britton, I would say that both of us see people that are in tough situations every day and um, who have maybe failed to protect their hard-earned money and property and are in need of guardianships and are at risk of losing that money and property or at least control of that money and property um, and maybe having court oversight. And they may or may not even have the people in charge of their health care decisions or you know what happens to their money and property. They may not be in control of that anymore. 
Um, they may need long-term care and, and they might be scrambling or a loved one needs long-term care and they're scrambling to figure out how to pay for it, how to protect assets, how to activate a benefit. So that's why I would say estate planning is really peace of mind and being proactive. So you don't find yourself in those situations where you've maybe neglected to plan ahead. Yeah. And that does happen a lot because estate planning is not something that's on the forefront of everyone's mind. And, um, you know, I hope to change that, but the deal is, is that a lot of people don't understand that the deck, the deck is stacked against them and they need to, um, they need to plan. Right. I mean, we do a bad job in this country at protecting individual rights as people age. We just do, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to get guardianship of somebody. It's very easy to lose all your hard-earned money and property because you need some type of long-term care. And it's very easy to, you know, pay a, a whole, whole lot in taxes. So all of those things are things set into the system that you need to protect yourself against. And the only way to do that is estate planning. And, and a lot of folks think to themselves, well, I don't have an estate. And and that's something I hear, you know, a lot is, okay, what if I don't have an estate? Should I still do something? And the answer is you probably have an estate, right? Uh, an estate is not some, you know, beautiful manicured lawn with a, you know, 5,000 square foot house and um, a couple of cars and a million dollars in the bank. An estate is what you own, what you work hard for. And that stuff's important. Um, especially if, even if you have a little bit, you know, and it's not much, um, especially if you want to leave it behind for your, your kids or grandchildren or whoever else, or, you know, even if you don't want the, the nursing home or the government to get it. Sure. An estate could be a house that you've worked 30 years to pay off the mortgage um, and paid the bank back three times as much as you originally borrowed. Or, or so, you know, when you lump in the percentage rate and how that's calculated over time. Right. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of times that's people's biggest investment. Um, it just depends on your retirement. Um, you know, what about the retirement? You know, how can we look at protecting the retirement? Hey, Brenton, income taxes at an all time low right now. And I know that our government has spent out trillions of dollars during the COVID crisis and really every year since I can remember. Um, one way that it's rumored that could be a place to reach to pay some of that back is the estate or debt tax, which is now at a fairly high number. However, if that comes down, it could affect a lot of people. So we have tools to help you deal with these types of crises and to help you proactively take control of your life, your money, your property, and your legacy. So, Britton, what are some ways, just starting at a foundation, we'll stop, start at the bottom in this show, and we'll build up. What are some things that people should absolutely have in place from a foundational perspective? Yeah, you know, um, just to say one more thing about planning ahead is is that most people they do they do end up planning right either 
proactively or in a crisis mode, right? When it's almost too late or it's too late, right? And, and so you don't want to be in that situation in a way to keep yourself out of that situation is to lay a solid foundation. Any good house is built on a solid foundation. And so too should your estate plan be, okay? And so by a solid foundation, we mean what we call the foundational document, something everyone should have. And um, those documents are your general durable power of attorney, your healthcare power of attorney, your living will, and your last will and testament. And with those- So what's a general durable power of attorney? I mean, I've not heard that term before, a general power of attorney, a general durable power of attorney. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, it's probably the most important thing out of all the documents that you could have. um, And you absolutely want to make sure this is in place. What it is, is it's a document that allows you to appoint someone to act on your behalf as if they were you for legal and financial purposes. So they're appointed. Is that what I've heard called a financial power of attorney? Yeah, it's also known as a financial power of attorney. Okay. and that's the that's the quote unquote street name for it. But really, it's a durable sure. type of journey. Durable means that it outlasts your incompetency, incapacity, or lapse of time. So no matter how long it's been since you executed that power of attorney, no matter your mental mindset or um, whether or not you're incapacitated, that power of attorney is still good to go. It's still in fact, and it's not revoked by virtue of of something happened to you. Um, and that that's that's the time when you need it the most. So, um, you know, that that power of attorney, that durability of that power of attorney is extremely important. You want it to last until you revoke it or until you pass away. Uh, but the reason why it's so important, the reason why we stress this is because if you don't have someone to act on your behalf for legal and financial purposes and something were to happen to you, well, then you're stuck. And if you're stuck, then that's a really tough situation to be in because your family then has to decide, okay, how can we protect this individual, their rights, their property, get them much needed long-term care benefits to pay for that very expensive long-term care? What's the alternative? The alternative could very well be guardianship. And guardianship, if you don't know what that is, is where you adjudicate someone incompetent, right? Meaning that they're stripped of of their rights and, and someone's appointed to make decisions on their behalf for them. So that's why this power of attorney is incredibly important because you get to get in front of that issue, go ahead and name somebody to act on your behalf so that doesn't have to happen. Because the person you want to be your guardian might not end up be your guard, being your guardian. Yeah, right? could be the Plus, it could be, um, you know, the court would have oversight, really, over what happens to your real estate and your money. Yep. Which could be a good thing if you don't have people that you trust. But if you have loved ones and people you trust, you can choose who handles that harder money and property. Now, our firm handles plenty of guardianships. We also handle plenty of probate and estate administration when people pass away. But we counsel people ahead of time to stay away from those, I won't say pitfalls, but but to, to be proactive and take control ahead of time. Yeah. People don't always listen though. You're yeah. Right. I wish Sometimes I, I, I preach so I'm blue in the face. Yeah. I wish I didn't have to do any guardianships. I wish I didn't have to do any probate, but you know, I mean, we try to educate individuals. We, we, we do preach until we're blue in the face about these things, but not everyone listens. That's okay. Cause we're there to help you through that process. Sure. But, 
Um, it's best if you plan ahead and not have to go through those pro processes at all. So it's important to appoint an agent under a general durable power of attorney, or we call, also call it a financial power of attorney, to handle money, property, other legal decisions. Yeah. Now, now, um, is it important that I appoint a secondary person? Should I appoint a backup to come in if my primary agent I appointed something happens to them? Maybe they die before before I need them, or maybe yeah. they just aren't in a situation where they can really handle it right now. Yeah, I mean, you got to have that second string quarterback, you know, because what happens to what happens if the, the the first one gets injured, right? So, same thing with the power of attorney. You got to have that backup if that if you can trust another person to be that. Okay. Don't pick somebody. If you have enough, uh, you know, right. Just because you right. think you should, but, but having that backup in place is extremely important because if the primary can't do it for whatever reason, maybe they're sick, maybe they're out of the country, maybe they don't want to do it, you know, um, to have that backup fill in that place in a seamless transition is going to prevent, you know, their, being the need for for guardianship or anything like that as well. So no matter what happens, you'll still have someone to act on your behalf, which is extremely important for the general durable power of attorney, also known as the financial, and for the healthcare power of attorney. You gotta have a backup there too, sure. you know, to help you make healthcare decisions, very important healthcare decisions. And that's gonna be the person who works with the financial power of attorney. They can be the same person. Um, to make sure that you get the level of care that you need. And now I don't want someone to make my healthcare decisions for me as long as I can make them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally fine. You know, your, your power of attorney, your power of attorney is, is supposed to communicate with you and act on your wishes. Right. So it is, if you, if you appoint a healthcare power of attorney or any power of attorney, um, you know, they have to act based on your wishes. And as long as you can act for yourself, then sure. no need for them to step in and make decisions for you. It's really when you I know that ours are written, ours are written in such a way that they're only it only lets the agent act on the healthcare power of attorney if you're unable to make your own healthcare decisions, right? So that's the only time the agent can step in. But it would seem to me, Brenton, that it would be extremely important to have someone who you trusted to make your your healthcare decisions for you. Right. If you, you are in a situation where you're competitive, right. what happens if what happens if or why you know why should I appoint one person? Why not just let my family collectively make these decisions for me? For my health care, if I can't make them. Well, number one, um, maybe they can't make the decision because they don't have the legal authority to do so. Uh, number two, you know, I mean, you heard the old saying, a camel is a is a horse created by a committee. Right. And basically that that saying, uh, you know, boils down to if you have a group of people, it's hard to make decisions, It's hard to make decisive decisions it's hard to it's hard to make efficient decisions and what the power of attorney is all about is to make sure that efficient decisions are made right efficiency is, is incredibly important especially in a crisis situation i don't want my family arguing over what decisions to make on my behalf i want to go ahead and pick a trusted person who i know is going to 
do what I want, who I've communicated with beforehand and who knows my wishes and is going to carry out those wishes no matter what my other family members may say. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, I don't want to be in pain laying there needing some procedure done and waiting for my children to uh, reach one decision. I mean, you know, it's hard enough to get them to agree on anything. Um, I don't want to be, I don't want to suffer while they try to agree on what needs to happen to me. I want to appoint one person at a time to make those decisions for me decisively huddle up with the family and be that quarterback to run into place to the doctor and the staff. Well, that, you know, that begs the question, what, you know, what about, uh, you know, life support or, 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 you know, staying alive artificially, um, you know, what, what can we do to, to make that decision beforehand? So what, what if I'm terminal incurable brain death has occurred and that sounds like a lawyer joke. This is not a lawyer joke. Brain death has occurred and I'm in a persistent vegetative state. Right. So there's no chance of recovery. Um, you know, the, the doctor says, look, this person is beyond hope. Um, I'm beyond hope. Uh, you know, I'm being maintained by respirators, artificial nutrition, hydration, it, you know, my body might be able to live on indefinitely that way. Um, I may or may not be suffering. I, I just don't know in that situation. And my heart goes out to people who have been in that situation or whose family members have been in that situation with another family member. I know there are a lot of people out there that have been through that with a family member. So a living will, Bryn, is my voice in the room. And it's misnamed. It's really a declaration for a desire for a natural death. So if I find myself in that situation and I've created a living will, a declaration for a desire for a natural death, then it tells, it's my voice in the room when I can't speak. It tells the doctors, it tells my family, it tells my healthcare agent that it's okay to let me go in that situation. That's okay. And it gives direction. And it's not only a legal document, but it's also a practical document. So I bet it would be tough for my daughters, I hope so, to make that decision for me. Um, This absolutely helps. Um, That's a a decision I know they would carry for the rest of their life. Yeah. But it would be made much easier if they knew they they were doing what dad wanted. Exactly. It's a hard decision to make. And so it takes a long time to make it. A lot of times and the longer you're on some type of life support, you know, that type of care, you're racking up medical bills. And maybe those are medical bills you can pay for, maybe not. And, you know, if you go through, you know, that sort of 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 care and you rack up medical bills, you know, your spouse can inherit those in North Carolina. Right. So it's called the doctor of necessary spouse and through the doctor of necessaries. That's true. Yeah. Or right. if you don't have a spouse, it can be applied against your probate estate. And um, those medical bills could be um, could, could suck up a lot of that, you know, value of that probate estate before it ever gets to your loved ones. Um, so that's an important consideration, too, with the living will is that it does protect your other family members from, number one, having to make a hard decision. And number two, possible, you know, future 
unneeded debt. Um, sure. And so, I, and, I, and I mentioned probate estate, you know, that brings us to the will that we all know and love, the last will and testament. So and, the fourth and final foundational document, right? The last yeah. will and testament. And and we preach about avoiding probate, but what is it still important to have in today's, you know, um, you know, nowadays? Sure. Um, you broke up there for a second, but I think you asked me, um, why is a will still important to have? Right? Yeah. Well, if I don't have a will, the state has already drafted statutes called the Statutes of Intestate Secession, which we call the state's will. So they have already made up their mind on how your money and property is going to be distributed and to whom. So if you want to take control over what happens to your hard-earned money and property when it goes through the will and probate process, then you better draft a will. And will drafting, in my opinion, in my professional opinion, is not a simple thing to do. The term a simple will is an oxymoron. You have to draft a will meticulously and by the state's rules and statutes or else it will not be allowed to be probatable. That's right. And, you know, that's an incredible, um, you know, observation that the simple will is an oxymoron. You know, I've heard it, you know, simple will complicated this state, right? So it's a complicated process if you have a simple will because it leaves so much to be interpreted. And really, you know, what they say is the will is law. And the clerks will tell you that down at the probate um, office at the courthouse that the will is law. And the reason why that that statement is so important is because they look to the will first for guidance before they look at anything else. So you want a comprehensive will that covers anything and everything that could be anticipated in the probate process. That being said, a will is a great thing to have, but maybe you want to avoid probate altogether. Now, avoid the long, the long, the, what can be a long drawn out court process. Right, right. And so so what is probate? Why would we want to avoid it? And how could we avoid probate with our assets? Well, we utilize, we utilize trust many times. Trust are private documents which are administered generally in a lawyer's office or with the assistance of a lawyer and the trustee that you appoint, as opposed to a will, which is a public document which is filed at the courthouse during the probate process and is also generally handled by an executor and many times an attorney along with an attorney to guide through that court process. You know, many times there's a 90 day publication period, especially if there's real estate or a certain amount of assets involved. That's so liens can attach to your estate. So a way to avoid that entire process is to use trust, which will trust tap beneficiaries instead of heirs like wills do. And you can also control your money and property well into the future. So you can make sure the grandkids go to college 
or you can make sure that a beach house is available for the family indefinitely or a farm is kept as a farm. Um, trusts have many uses. Trusts also, with the danger of increased estate tax or rumored elimination of step-up and basis, and I hope that doesn't happen or ever happen, it can ensure, um, and different types of trusts can ensure um, that we maximize your taxable exemptions. So that's important in tax avoidance. It's also important in ease of administration and just not leaving a mess for your family. So, you know, if you want to leave a clean process, trust are, are, are a very straightforward way to do that. We work with you to understand those, to craft those, and to draft those so that you can leave a legacy and you can control that legacy. So trusts are very good for those things, for probate avoidance, control, ultimate control, privacy, as well as maximi maximization of taxable exemptions. Right. You know, one thing I love about trusts is how flexible they are and um, how how easy they are to use and how they, they can not only help you avoid um, the heartache of probate, they can also help you protect all of your assets in one fell swoop. And um, they are incredibly um, easy to use and intuitive and um, they, they just do a lot in, in one document. And um, that being said, you know, we would be happy to talk to anyone out there about trust or any type of estate plan. Isn't that right? A absolutely. Um, we would counsel people uh, to, how about this? Right now, um, Brent and I would offer a free gift to every listener out there. I would offer a free consult if you're listening, you know, for suffering through our 30 minute show and hopefully gaining a little knowledge. Um, and we raised a few questions. I hope you have your affairs in order. If not, I want you to do that so badly. We would offer a free consult. Go to mcelderlaw.com. That's M as in Mike, C as in Charlie, elderlaw.com. And please call one of our several locations in your area if you're listening out there um, in Hendersonville, Charlotte, and Shelby, North Carolina right now. Um, and we would offer that free consult to you and your family to take as long as it takes to put your estate plan in order and to get that plan in place. So thanks so much, Brenton. We'll be back next week with our weekly show, The Elder Law Report. We have plenty of topics to cover. Coming up, we'll focus on trust, different types of trust. We'll delve into guardianship in depth. depth. And uh, maybe we can hit that that deed, Brenton, the ladybird deed as well. Absolutely. All right. See you next week, Brenton. All right. See you. We put off planning till things get slow Tomorrow's never promised today Don't get too busy and let it all slip away Please don't wait till it's too late Call McIntyre Elder Law Foundational planning or more complex We can help when you're perplexed If a loved one needs long-term care We can help